0: Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Good morning. That was really sleepy. Good morning. That's better. We'll help each other on this great rainy day. Last night, as I was Working on this sermon, I was multitasking. I was working on the sermon, watching the NCAA basketball game, and watching Lord of the Rings, which was on the channel right next to the basketball game. So, if you're really adept, you could surf both at the same time. And I got to the point in the movie. um, This is the second of the the Fellowship of the Ring, and uh, when they've won, this is a spoiler alert if you've never read this. So sorry about that. When they've won the Helm's Deep battle. It's this big crescending moment in the movie, and they've gathered together. It's um, Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn and Gandalf, and they're standing there, and they've won this huge battle, and there's been massacre and sacrifice and carnage and all these great things, and they're standing on this precipice, and they realize what Gandalf says. Well, we've won the battle of Helm's Deep, but the battle of Middle-earth begins now. And there's this sense as you're watching the movie. One, it's like 9 o'clock and I'm looking going, I'm not watching the whole battle for Middle-earth. But you have this real sense of like, the battle's not over? I mean, this was a lot of work to win the battle for Helm's Deep. And now you're telling me like Middle, it's not like we're finished. In fact, if you follow the three-part storyline, they're at more risk now because Frodo's deeper and deeper into the land of Sauron. Then you realize, golly, the the revolution isn't finished, the battle's not done. What now? What do we do now? You all are in the middle of a series in the Gospel of John. And uh, it's worth, as we're in this series, to ask ourselves, what is John doing in this book? Um, John, as the Gospel, is particularly focused on that last week of Jesus. Over half of the book is dedicated to John's letting us know what it was like as he was one of the disciples, to be a part of that season of Jesus' life. And he's, he's making a case. He's building an apologetic. John was the last gospel written, written in the latter part of the first century. He's making a case to explain who Jesus is. You know, Israel had believed for centuries and centuries and centuries in their need for a Savior, that Adam and Eve had fallen and that we were sinners, And that through Israel, God was going to send the healer, the counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah to come and make right death and evil in the world. The enemy of God in our story is the devil. And his consequence, his implication again and again is death. And Israel believed that God was going to make it right through a Messiah. What John is doing is writing to let us know this Messiah has come. Your waiting is over. And he's been building up. As you've been going through John, you've been seeing some of these things. They're the signs that Jesus is doing, the signs that the Messiah was supposed to do. He's supposed to be healing the sick and giving sight to the blind. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's showing power over the physical elements of the world, like water and creation, which is to remind us how God had power over the water when he saved and redeemed Israel out of Egypt. These hints, these reminders that this guy... It's not just flesh, but it's fully God. And Jesus himself has been saying things that John is recording for us. I am the, I'm the lamb of God. I'm the door. Last week you looked at I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. This really clear statement. I mean, Jesus is saying, look, I am he. He's flipping established religion on its head. And he's saying to these few who are following him just these few hundred particularly these 12 I am the Messiah long awaited I will conquer the devil I will flip death it's powerful stuff and in these few chapters chapter 14 to 17 which we call the upper room discourse Jesus is teaching and explaining kind of the inner knowledge the inner circle of what's going on he's starting to tell the disciples this is what's about to happen He's taught them there's a new sacrament. You know, the Old Testament had Passover, which is the disciples are celebrating. But he's saying, you know, now the new kingdom, the new Israel have a new sacrament, this thing we call communion that we'll celebrate later this morning. He's made this clear statement again about his own identity. He's laying out the what now. And if I was a disciple in that room, I would find this evening a bit unsettling. I've given my life to Jesus and followed Him for three years. I've left my job. Maybe I was a fisherman or a tax collector or a political zealot trying to foment revolution against Rome. And what I'm hearing are these things that are very, very odd. You know, we've had a big week if you're a disciple. You've come in with Jesus as... All of Jerusalem gathered for the Passover is laying down palm branches and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, they're saying he's the Messiah, right? Here's, again, Da Vinci's upper room. Here's the disciples. And you can see Da Vinci does such a nice job of getting a sense of the confusion and uncomfortability of what is happening. Jesus is teaching quite calm in the middle. But notice from him out, everything looks much more anxious And concerning and unclear. Because you've had this big week. You've been in the temple. Jesus is teaching. Well, sure, there's opposition. But there's always been opposition. This looks like something could really happen. Maybe Rome's going to be overturned. Maybe this ruler, Pilate, will be sent home. Maybe the high priest will finally get the comeuppance they deserve. But here we are in this little room and Jesus has washed our feet. That's a little weird. And we didn't like it. And Peter, of course, spoke for all of us when he said, don't wash mine. And now we're hearing about betrayals and Judas just left. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will come. And as a Jew, the Holy Spirit lives in the Holy of Holies at the center of Jerusalem, at the center of Israel. That's where the Spirit is. And now Jesus is telling me that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and live in me. Well, again, that's a little unsettling and he's using weird phrases I'm going but remain in me I'm going to depart but abide in me death is coming after three days he's going to go be at my father's right hand and if I was a disciple I'd be sitting and saying what now you mean the battle isn't over you mean the revolution continues Well, if these things are going to happen, and I don't think the disciples, and again, Da Vinci does such a nice job, have any clue what their next 72 hours are going to be at this point. Not even the remotest clue. But if that's going to happen and they have some faint understanding that something's going to be different, the question I would be asking is, what now? What do I do? How do I make it? How do I continue in the battle? How do I fight for Middle Earth? how do I continue the revolution of the new kingdom of heaven, which is the phrase Jesus has used over and over and over in the gospels. The kingdom is at hand. In this passage this morning, John 15, these few verses give us a window into how Jesus expected them and how he expects us to thrive in this revolution and indeed even to lead it. And I want to highlight four things, for what nows. From this passage. First what now? What now? Living with Jesus is the most important thing. In our lives. Living with Jesus is the most important thing. Can you put up just those few verses. Verses 4 and 5. Here's a window into what Jesus is saying. Again abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Again and again, this word abide, which is another way to see that, is the word live or remain in me is used in these verses. 11 times in 17 verses. Sometime today, speak 17 sentences and use the same word 11 times. You'll be stressing something. Maybe at home, please be quiet. Quiet down. Why can't you be quiet? Okay, what are you getting on about? You want quiet. Abide, abide, remain, live. Jesus is saying the what now, the way to live in this new revolution is to abide with him. Now, these are men who have lived with Jesus for three years. Part of me, if I was there, would be saying, I have. I mean, Jesus, we've been all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, stuck by it, I mean. But he's saying there's a new way because he's physically not going to be with them much longer. So how do we do that? He's going to give us the spirit who's going to bring us as close to Jesus as the vine and the branches are. Earlier this morning, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, you know the guy who really should preach this to this community is Corky Edens, Because as many of you know, Corky's graduate degree was in horticulture. If anybody knows about vine and branches, it's Corky. So after church, he's going to illustrate that for you outside. You just go outside, he can explain it all, vine and branches. But think about anything in your living area, garden, trees, whatever. Think about the vines or the the trunk and the branches and what it would mean if you cut the branch off. They're not seamless anymore. We're supposed to be as seamlessly integrated into living with Jesus that there's no distinction between where our source of life is. It'd be unthinkable for us to picture ourselves not connected to him. For us to thrive in the what now. We're to remain and live with him. One of the other illustrations that's used often is again, make Jesus your home. And he's giving us a window later in these verses because he's saying, I have called you friend. You know, that's who you bring into your home, right? Your friends. Part of the subtle implied Theology here is that Jesus wants you to live with him. It's not just we should gird ourselves up to live with Jesus. The first start is Jesus wants you to live with him. It's actually the very reason he's about to go die on the cross. That is astounding news. Absolutely astounding news. I'm going to quote twice from an Anglican hero named J.C. Ryle this morning who was a bishop in England in the late 1800s. His comment on this verse is this, to abide in Jesus means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. Isn't that great alliteration? Constant close communion. Pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend, and to know his words. To live with Jesus, to make it, to thrive in the what now, is first to know that living with Jesus is the most important thing. Secondly, what now? What else can we learn from these verses? We learn that pruning and bearing fruit is to be expected. Pruning and bearing fruit is to be expected. This image of the vine is a, pardon the pun, a ripe image for Israel. In Psalm 80, the psalmist has written about the vine. He says this, You brought a vine out of Egypt hearkening back to the story again of Jesus or God rec- rescuing Israel out of slavery. But the vine has turned from God and failed. And what the psalmist finishes that psalm with are these words, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. Give us life and we will call upon your name. In essence, Israel has been a failure as the vine. We've been a failure as the vine. So Jesus comes and says, I am the true vine. Again, that would have caught the ear of these Jewish disciples. And he says, not only am I the true vine, but now you are the branches, the true branches. You go and stay connected to me and you will live. You will bear the fruit Israel was meant to bear. And this expectation is you will bear fruit and you will be pruned so that you can bear more fruit. You're not pruned for no reason or in a haphazard manner. We're meant to grow. It's another way to say that. Again, J.C. Ryle says, true grace is never idle. I-D-L-E. True grace is never idle. You're not saved by Jesus. I'm not saved by Jesus just so you can sit there like a bush that doesn't bear fruit and doesn't grow and doesn't go through the four seasons to grow more fruit and bear more fruit. And we know this to be true though, don't we? If you think about the areas of your life, the things you abide in, the things you live in, that you remain in, bear fruit in your life. Physically, let's say, if you exercise regularly, if you abide in exercise, you are in better shape than if you didn't abide in exercise. If you abided only in sleep, all you did was be in bed. You would bear fruit, not great fruit. Not fruit anyone want to eat, but fruit nonetheless. And spiritually, this is true as well. When we make our home somewhere, it bears fruit. The issue is where we make our home. If you make your home in the pursuit of money, that will bear fruit. Typically, if you don't do that the right way, it will bear fruit in greed and in anxiety. If you make your home pursuing power, abiding in the desire for power, which is the Constant temptation of where we live, the assumption that if I get power, my life will be great. You'll always be frustrated because inevitably there'll be someone with more power than you. And then what? What fruit are you bearing? If you abide in convenience and self-absorption, which is the siren call of our area and of our age... You'll bear fruit in assuming that life is about you and the center of life and of success and happiness should be about you abiding with yourself. This is particularly tempting because think about all the times and ways in your day that you can have it your way. That even ways you couldn't have 30 years ago. When I was a kid and we went to the restaurant, if my mom got coffee, they would ask, do you want cream and sugar? That's it. Show me anywhere a restaurant that does coffee, that specializes in coffee, that that is the only thing they offer. You could go now and order online shoes just the way you want them. When I was a kid, I was talking to one of my children about this recently. When I was a kid growing up in Southern California, Vans were the skate shoe. And what was cool about Vans, separate from any other brand, was you could take them in a design and they would make a shoe off that design. And I had remember friends in junior high who were like, "I'm getting my shoes today." You know, they'd waited two or three weeks. Now you can do that almost anywhere. You can go to Nike.com, make your own shoe. Now I think that's really cool. And if they made custom wingtips for clergy on Sunday, I would have a pair, <laughs> and make sure Johnny had a pair. But notice the subtlety in that. Abide in yourself. Make sure you get convenience. Make sure everything revolves around you. I can make my own iPhone cover. I can over and over and over. And the subtlety of that is, why wait or not get your way now anyway? Which is the pointer that we need to be pruned. I need to be pruned and you need to be pruned. Because if the central sign of health in our life, and this is what the other verses are pointing to, is to live like Jesus. And if the central sign of health in Jesus is that he died for you and for me. Then we need to be activating a muscle that dies to self a lot. To push back against the spirit of the age. You need to go places and just wait in line. Just because. You need to be bored. You need to not have it your way. Go to Starbucks and when they ask you what you want, say, give me what you want and I'll drink it. Just to demonstrate that you don't have to have it your way all the time. What would you like to drink? I'll drink that. How do we do that? How does God push on us to prune and bear fruit in our lives? How does that often look? Two ways to think about. One is often with others. We need help doing this. God uses people. This is different than you assigning yourself as the pruner of Christ Church of Vienna. I see some things in John Richmond he should change. I'm going to tell him what they are. I see some things in Rod Nunez that should change. I'm going to be the pruner on behalf of the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying the other way. What about the people in your circle of influence have you seen that would demonstrate Jesus is at work at them, making them less concentrated on themselves and more concentrated on others? What about you stepping in and saying, I see this in you, and it is so great to see Jesus at work here. I see the way you come early and serve. I, love, I know that if I come here for this service, Rod and Lori Parsons are going to be here to set up. Rod and Lori could do other things on Sunday morning, but they're here, they're happy, they have name tags on, they're ready. What about being in a community that does that? That's one of the ways God prunes. Another way, and this way is not near as fun, is through trial. And if you look through church history over and over again, that is a means of grace that God uses in our lives, through difficulty. Now, again, if we're in a culture that drives itself on getting out of trial as soon as you possibly can, then we need help from others to help us sit in difficulty at times and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me here? What are you trying to prune here? So what now in the battle? First, living with Jesus is the most important thing. Second, pruning and bearing fruit are to be expected. Third, the way to know we are abiding, that we're living the way Jesus is exhorting and teaching and loving us too in the upper room and at the cross is to see Jesus' fruit in our lives. I was just talking a little about this, about the pruning. But to know if you're abiding, you'll see fruit. If that's the expectation, we should see that. And Jesus' fruit looks like loving the way Jesus loves. Jesus didn't just tell them this. He just washed their feet. And now he's going to go die on the cross. These are all pointers to how they're supposed to live. He's going to die for his friends, and then actually he's going to die for his enemies as well. He's going to die for people in Jerusalem who not only are his enemies, but couldn't care less that he's on the cross. This is what Jesus' fruit looks like. It looks like loving the way he loves, and it looks like fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. What we see in John 16 is a pointer to the Galatians 5, which is the passage about fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit's going to come and guide us to truth, Jesus says. Well, who's the truth? Well, John 14, Jesus just said, I'm the truth. So the Spirit is going to produce fruit that looks like Jesus in us because we're supposed to look like the revolution and the kingdom of the Lord. So people can say, why do you have that fruit? One way to pray about your week is maybe to think, Lord, I want to be a fruit bearing this, a tree bearing this kind of fruit in my week at work. I want people who come by my cubicle to feel like, boy, there's love here and patience. There's all kinds of things I could eat, all kinds of fruit that you can say, this is because of Jesus, the reason Christ Church Vienna takes fruit into the city is because of Jesus and the Spirit's work to make us like Him. Because the revolution, the battle, the cross, is not just for you. Abiding is not just a sense, I'm gonna, I need to focus on a hyper-individualized, pietistic relationship with Jesus. Just me and Jesus. More and more time. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience and kindness and gentleness. What if you were to ask Corky how he's doing spiritually? And he'd say, you know, I'm becoming much more kind to myself. I'm becoming much more gentle to myself. Now, there are times we are too hard on ourselves. That's a separate sermon. We're not going to do that this morning. But these fruits, you grow in patience when you're around situations and people who are frustrating and make you want to be impatient. You grow in kindness when you're in situations where you don't want to be kind or where people might not beg your kindness or might not even affirm you for being that way. We're not going for, I'm going to give myself a spa weekend because then I've developed kindness toward myself. That's not what Jesus is on about here. This fruit is. The fruit of the kingdom of those of us who abide with the king is for others too. Yes, it's for you, but yes, it's for Vienna as well. Another scholar says this about this passage, to seek the glory of God, to abide with Jesus, will therefore imply a commitment to mission and not least world mission. Again, we're not just calling people to come and behold themselves at the cross. We're calling them to come, be transformed, and to take that transformation into the world. To say, Jesus did this for me, but he can do it for you as well. And in that sense, pruning can hurt. Pruning costs. It might cost time. might cost money. might cost energy. But these costs are a striking sign of the kingdom. It shows we're abiding. It shows that he is our constant companion, to quote J.C. Ryle again. And we're being formed into being like his citizens. So our lives, where we live, becomes where he lives. So if you have roommates, you decide just to build the muscle, you know, I won't take the first shower and use all the hot water. I won't have the last cup of coffee and just leave the grains in the bottom. And over and over again, the specifics that might be in your situation or mine. We live with Jesus, we're pruned. We model and develop the fruits of Jesus. And then lastly, the final what now? How do I do this? I'd like to just give you a couple practical suggestions. I think sometimes, in the, at least in the North American Evangelical Church, we boiled this down into simple words like, have a quiet time. Read your Bible today. I was talking to a friend recently who grew up in the church, and he said, you know, I think most of my life what I thought was, if I had a quiet time and met with, read my Bible a little bit, then I would be okay, and it was all on me to do it. And I want to... Breathe a little space into that for you this morning. What we're talking about here, what abiding is, is again this sense that Jesus is my constant and close companion through life. That I'm invited into relationship with Him throughout my day morning and evening, noon, midday, tea time, break time, around the water cooler, everything you do, Jesus is there and wants to be a part of with you. Yes, we read our Bible. Yes, we're quiet. But it's not the only thing we do. So let me just give you a couple of helps. We're going to roll through a couple of slides. If you go to the website that my team at the Falls Church, the spiritual formation team, leads, you'll find, this is the website, tfcagrow.org, a, a segment called Healthy Living. And under that segment is us describing in many ways what it means to look like being with the Lord. It's not the only way or the perfect way, but it's at least a way if you're looking for better understanding of some of this, you might want to go and read these particular headings. Under there are two I want to highlight briefly. One is this whole idea of eating. Eating is often the way we describe what it means to be with God, to abide. Eating means to spend time with God reading and praying. We learn how to study, meditate on, and apply the Bible. We read other books. We read it certain ways. So maybe think about abide. How do I abide? How can I eat this week? What am I going to eat? Can we go to that second slide? Another way we describe, too, is another part of healthy living, just like today you're going to eat food and you're going to breathe. Both those are part of you being healthy physically today. Breathing is learning to pray and interact with God all day. Taking a breath is what gives us independent life at the moment of our physical birth. In the same way, spiritual breathing through prayer is what gives us life with God throughout a day. The beginning of eating and the beginning of breathing is that Jesus wants to be with you. And you're going to do it differently than I would. The ways you pray and breathe, the things you're going to have. But I'd love you to feel unleashed into the week to live in creative freedom. Dear God, I want to be with you this week. Help me know how to do that. Help me eat and breathe and abide with you that it might bear your fruit and bring joy to you and bless your kingdom. Because what we believe, again, is that Jesus has conquered the centuries-long battle with death. That's unbelievable. Talk about good news. You're sent into the world. I'm sent into the world to say death doesn't matter. So we eat and we breathe. Then even more practically, two websites that might be helpful. Biola College in California has a Lent project. This upper left corner. If you can go to the next slide, that'd be great. And what they've done is put together daily readings and music and art all the way through Lent you go back to the other slide? Sorry. So this website, ccca.biola.edu, you go every day and they post and there's a reading and music and a piece of art. There's descriptions of why the art's there and how it works. And it's a daily Lenten reflection that helps me abide. I haven't done it every day through Lent, but I've done it several days. And I just find it very helpful. We do it, my kids and I do it some. It's a daily walkthrough, how to be with the Lord, and it's very stimulating. They've pulled from a range of people on their campus, but also across the U.S. at least. That's one practical suggestion. Then after Lent, right, because then what do you do on Easter Monday if you do that, okay? Go to that last slide, please. Thank you. Holy Trinity Brompton, which is an Anglican church in London, has put together a daily reading that you could find on your, in iTunes for not just iPhones, but all, all manner, I'm sure, Android too, called Bible in One Year. If you go and search in iTunes, B-I-O-Y, Bible in One Year, B-I-O-Y. It's an app. You pull it up every day. They'll, put, they'll send to you readings in the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms. There's a couple of paragraphs commentary by different writers to kind of help you understand those passages and how to think about it as you go into your day. How do we abide? How do we bear fruit? We need others. We need help. This is a really clean, efficient way. I love this site. It's it's been very simple and it's a healthy portion of scripture reading, but also reflection on it as well. What now? Here we are after the upper room. Jesus has died and risen again, and you and I are still here. The revolution is still on. We're still in the battle. How do we bear fruit worthy of the kingdom? We live with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the privilege it always is for me to be here with this church and to see familiar and unfamiliar faces who are seeking to love you in this community. Would you bless them? Would you prune them? Give them courage when it's in a time of trial. Help them know how to come one another. And would you help them know how to bring the kingdom? to vienna lord it is astounding news that you want to meet with me this week throughout the day and you want to meet with them as well help them find ways that are personalized for them that show that you are with them and you want to be with them in all that happens this week and bear your fruit we pray in your holy name amen
0: forgiven because you were
1: forsaken. I'm accepted. you working there. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me
0: because you died and rose again.
1: We're going to sing that again. Take it. Tchau e